All right, we are in lesson 23. Now, we're going to enter into a third section of Proverbs today. We're going to enter into a third section of Proverbs. So let me just remind you basically how the book is divided up. What you're going to see is oftentimes you'll hear people say that Proverbs is, all the Proverbs are written by Solomon. That is partially true, but that's not a correct statement. Most of Proverbs is written by Solomon. However, what you're going to find is is that there are specific parts that are written by him. So, you have, remember, verses 1 through 9 were specifically his instructions to his son. Then, chapters 10 through 15, we saw that second section. Those were individual Proverbs from, from Solomon where he was contrasting righteous living with wicked living. Now we're getting ready to enter into a third section of individual Proverbs from Solomon, which is basically chapter 16 up to chapter 22, which is talking about the issue of the exaltation of Proverbs concerning righteous living. Then after that, we're going to see that there are some Proverbs that of Solomon that were compiled by his grandson, Hezekiah. So they were written by Solomon, but these were then compiled by Hezekiah. Then you're going to see that there are some proverbs from the wise, from some wise men. We don't know who the wise men were, but they were compiled, obviously inspired by God, and they're there. Then you're going to see that there are some proverbs from Agor and Lemuel. Now, some folks will identify them as Solomon. I don't necessarily believe that's true, but it doesn't have to necessarily be Solomon. We know it's the word of God. So we're going to see those, then those are different sections later on. But for the next few weeks, we're going to be in this third section, which are individual Proverbs, exalting righteous living. So let's look, first of all, at verse 1. Let's get right into it. Of chapter 16. The preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Here's what I want you to see. God enables people to put their thoughts into words. God enables people to put their thoughts into words. So, your thoughts, they, they're, they're yours. You're, you, what you think about and contemplate is yours. But it is God is the one who is a, enables you to then speak. You understand? Who then a, enables you to communicate. Look now at verse 2. We're going to talk about the omniscience of God. All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. Now here's the point I want you to see. Now this is a great verse. You may even want to put a star by this verse. The Lord alone can evaluate our behavior because he knows our motives. The Lord alone can evaluate our behavior because he alone knows our motives. Now, I want you to notice what this verse says. Look, all the ways of man are pure in his own eyes. You can sit here right now and say to yourself, I'm doing okay. As you examine your life and your actions and as you examine your relationships with each other and with your family and with your spouse, you can sit here and say to yourself, I'm doing okay. 
I'm not a bad person. So all of your ways are pure in your own eyes. And as far as anybody else is concerned, they might say the same thing. You might be an upstanding churchman. You might be an upstanding folk person who comes to church and everybody looks up to you and thinks, boy, you know what, they're just one. I wish I, my spiritual life was just like theirs. The problem is, we only see what? Outside. And you can deceive yourself too. But see, only God knows what? Our hearts. Only God knows our spirit. He's the one who discerns our spirit. And so God knows our motivation. God knows our motivation. So, for instance, let me tell you the scariest verse in the Bible. This is the scariest verse in the Bible to me. In Matthew, Jesus says, I think it's the parable of the sheep and the goat. That in that day they'll come to him and they'll say to him, Lord, Lord, did we not do these things in your name? And they go through a list of things, casting out demons, prophesying, that's proclaiming the truth, and they did all of these things. And the scariest thing, I want you to hear, listen to what Jesus said. This is the scariest thing he said. Depart from me. I never knew you. You know what? Why is that scary? Because these are, these, these are not unbelievers hanging out at the local pub. These are folks who are doing, quote, spiritual things. Church things. They thought they knew him because of the way, and how do you say, how do you know they thought they knew him? Because of how they said, Lord, Lord. These folks thought they knew Jesus. And Jesus said to them, look, I don't know who you are. Depart from me. Why? Because God sees through the veneer of all the stuff we do. You understand what I'm saying? God sees through the veneer of all the stuff we do. So, for instance, let's take, I'll pick on pastors. I won't pick on you folks. I'll pick on pastors because I'm a pastor. Okay? You know, you know, whether you realize it or not, it's really easy to deceive you folks. No, I'm serious. Some, Ken's nodding his head in agreement. Yeah, you understand what I'm talking about, Ken. Uh-huh. Okay. Do you realize a pastor can deceive you rather easily? You say, well, I'm pretty smart. I can see, I can smell a rat anywhere. Not necessarily. You might smell a smelly rat. But you may not smell a rat who's got underarm deodorant on. Did you know what I'm saying? I mean, you may not smell a rat who's got underarm deodorant on. Because here's the thing. His actions may be good and it may look like he's doing ministry and he may be doing ministry. But the motivation for why he's doing ministry is all wrong. The motivation is ego. The motivation is self. I read an interesting book. It was written over 450 years ago by a pastor by the name of Richard Baxter. It's called The Reformed Pastor. Now, a more up-to-date title would be The Revived Pastor. And in this, it was a message that he gave to a group of pastors. He gave it. And, and think about how long they preached back then. He, it, it, he preached this message all day long. And he sat and listened. So then he got such a great response, they told him to publish his message. And this book is his message. And it's 300 pages long, so it must have been a pretty, pretty long message. Okay? 
Some of you say, yeah, you're working on it too, George, okay? All right, so, uh, you know, so what I want you to see is, here's what he said. He, he, in his message to these pastors, he said this, what a sad thing it'll be that in the day of judgment that will come, when you stand before God, and the people that you have ministered to the grace of salvation go to heaven, but you yourself go to hell because your heart was not what it should have been. And I thought, man, that's powerful. See, that's what this is what Solomon is talking about here. He's saying the Lord alone can evaluate. He alone can evaluate our behavior because He knows our motivations. He knows our motives. So simply just come in here. Can I be honest with you? And I have to say this because the statistics bear this out. Simply because you're coming here today does not mean you're okay with Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? Simply because you got raised in a Christian home does not mean you're okay with Jesus. Simply because you prayed a prayer as a child or something does not mean you're okay with Jesus. The issue is, what is your heart? And have you trusted Him completely with your heart? That's the issue. But everybody else, can I be honest with you? You say, well, who's who's saved and who's not? I can't tell you that. I can't tell you that. But only one person can. And this verse tells us who it is. Who is it? God. All right, look at verse 3 now. We've got to move on. The issue of plans. Commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. For our plans to succeed, we must depend on the Lord. Now, we talked about this a little bit yesterday in our, in our uh, prayer breakfast. And that's the whole issue, I think uh, Sue Warwick mentioned it yesterday, about how we will plan what we should do, and then we ask God's blessing on our plan. That's not depending on Him. Prayer says, I will go to God and say, God, I've got this situation before me. I need you to tell me what I need to do and depend on Him to give you the wisdom to do it. What we do is is we go in with our five-point plan of what we need to see happen. God, I need to do step one, step two, step three. Now, at step three, Lord, if it doesn't work out, there's plan B, which kind of comes back down here, around here, back to point number five. Isn't that how we pray? Some of you are laughing. That's exactly how we pray. And here's the point. Can I ask you something? What does that communicate about your thoughts about God and your thoughts about you when you pray like that? What's that, Tim? Okay, it makes you think you're more powerful than God. Okay. Anybody else? What's that communicate? You don't think he'll do it. Okay. Anybody else? Yeah, you're desiring your own ways. Did you hear what Lou said? You're more interested in what you want rather than what God wants. It's communicated, God, I don't think you can do this. I don't think you're smart enough to handle this. Now, none of us would ever say something like that, but I'll be honest with you. You may not say it with words, but you say it with actions. You say it with actions. And so here Solomon is saying, for our plans to succeed, we need to depend upon who? God. God. Okay, look now at the issue of retribution. Verse 4. The Lord has made all for Himself, yes, even the wicked, for the day of doom. So here's the thing. 
God ensures that everything will receive appropriate retribution. God will ensure that everything receives appropriate retribution. Here, can I be honest with you? Some of you are so worried about the wicked getting away with stuff. You are so worried. You watch the news and you'll hear some guy on there and it looks like he's just going to get away with it. You know, and maybe he even goes and has a jury. And we've seen a few of those where the jury will let him out. And it looks like he just got off scot-free. Injustice. And, and even in our community here, you, just, you know some folks that are just doing plain wrong to people and you just, you, you are consumed with, when is, when is something going to happen and when are they going to pay the price for what they're doing? Can I be honest with you? You're worrying too much. Because they're not getting away with it. You say, what do you mean they're not getting away for it? Well, I know a God who created hell specifically to deal with rebellion. To deal with the wicked. Because He will, may not be in this time where we see it now, but when we stand before Him, He is the just judge. And there isn't going to be any lawyer that will be able to talk you out of it there. He is the one who is worthy to make righteous judgment and He will judge them. Retribution will come. Retribution will come. So you and I need to remind that, remember that. Look at the issue of verse 5 now, the issue of pride. Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none, of, none will go unpunished. So here's the point. The Lord will bring down those who are arrogantly proud. Now, let me just qualify for a moment because, boy, that just seems, that this verse just seems harsh. Because you're thinking, well, you know, hold on, George, I'm, I'm proud of my kids. Do you mean that's an abomination to God? You know, like when you go, like my kids are in swimming and I'm proud, I'm, I'm a proud daddy. I'm there and I'm yelling. They can't hear me because they're swimming, but I'm yelling. Go! Kick! You know, and everything. Because I'm a proud daddy. Now, are you saying, George, that that's an abomination to God? No, that's not, that's not the pride we're talking about here. What we're talking about is self. Where you have a haughty spirit. Where you project yourself above others. Where, can I be honest with you, another element of pride is where you cannot see that you've done anything wrong. Where you won't allow yourself to be broken in spirit. To recognize that I'm a sinner. And I deserve hell. See, pride won't allow you. And, and I'll be honest with you, pride manifests itself. It, it, is, it is amazing. I get to talk to people all the time about the stuff they need for help. Okay, because they call. And, and sometimes I have to enter into a discussion with them. And, and I'll say things like, well, you know, do you, have you thought about going, you know, because times are hard and you haven't had a job since, since last year. Have you thought about going to McDonald's? They'll hire you. Oh, I would never do that. They're not working. Calling churches to help them out. Why won't they work at McDonald's? What's the word? 
Pride. You see what I'm saying? Pride. See, that's what is an abomination to God. And can I be honest with you? Let me just say, you're not going to like this, but i got to say it. Every single one of us here is guilty of it. You might think you're okay with God, but I'm going to be honest with you. There is one sin in our life, and out of that one sin comes the other sins. There is one sin in all of our lives that is an abomination to Him, and that's our pride. We say, well, I don't think I'm prideful. Well, let, me add, let me just give you, a, a, if, you if you're, you're up to it, let me give you a, uh, a, an exercise to do. If you want to do this, ask God to show you your pride. Now, before you say, okay, I'll do that, you better watch out. You better watch out because He will. And it will shock you. It'll shock you. So just admit you're prideful and you need help with it. All right? All right, let's go on. The issue of sin. In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. And by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. Let's look at this. Faithfulness to the Lord brings freedom from sin. You're here today and you're struggling with an issue. You're here today and you're struggling with a sin habit that has just beset you. That has just taken over your life. It might be gossip. It might be a critical spirit. It might be anger. It might be an addiction of some sort. If you're dealing with some sort of sin, and you know what it is because you're always reminded of it unless you've become calloused in your heart that you don't see it anymore. But you know what it is. If you're walking with God in some sense, you'll know what displeases Him. And believe me, the Holy Spirit will reveal it to you. If you're wanting to have victory over that, can I tell you where the victory comes from? It doesn't come from you trying. Because if you notice, when you try, you fail. It doesn't come from you trying. It comes from faithfulness to the Lord. It's going to God and saying, God, I need your help for this victory. I'm addicted to this behavior. It's easy for me to fly off the handle and get angry at home. It's easy for me to have problems with my eyes. It's easy for me to have issues with gluttony or food or whatever. Lord, it's, it's easy for me. I need, to, I need victory. I can't do it on my own. You look to Him to do it through you. And then that brings freedom. That brings freedom. Do you understand what I'm saying? That brings freedom. It's going to Him and acknowledging to Him, Lord, I'm at the end of my rope. Hey, let's just stop for a moment. Isn't that what they tell you in the 12-step programs? That before you can have help in an area with your addiction, you've got to be willing to say, i got a problem. You've got to be willing to admit you need Jesus to help you. You've got to be willing to admit that. I right, look now at verse 7, the issue of conduct. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, this is a general principle, but I want you to realize this, because this is not necessarily true all the time. Remember what I said, Proverbs are not promises, they're general principles of wisdom. So listen to what it says here. A lifestyle pleasing to God disarms social hostility. Look, you're not guaranteed to keep any enemy away. So let me just go ahead and point that out. 
Everybody, some of you are old enough to recognize that. doesn't matter what you do, you're going to have somebody upset with you. Everybody recognize that? Some of you older folks, shake your head, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, okay? All right. All right, you know what I'm talking about. But here's what I'm going to say. For the most part, if you live right, you live right in your neighborhood, in your community, in your home, if you do what's right, you will disarm hostility. I'm serious. For the most part, that's the principle that he's giving here. If you live at peace with every man, even your enemies, you'll disarm hostility. That's the principle he's giving here. So let's go on now. Look at the issue of wealth. Verse 8. Better is a little with righteousness than vast revenues without justice. So here's what I want you to see. A few few possessions with righteousness are better than great wealth with dishonesty. Hey, I'm going to be honest with you. we got a problem in America. And I'm talking about with the population, with people in America. And here's the problem with people in America. We are enamored with the Hollywood rich. I'm going to be honest with you. We are enamored with it. Because you might be sick of seeing Britney Spears on your news. How many of you are sick of seeing that? Okay. Can I be honest with you? The reason why it is, is even though you may be sick, you still want to know. You may not, but everybody else does. Okay? You understand? You shake your head at that. But what we do is we emulate... We emulate what we see there, and we want what they have. And so we got a problem of materialism in our country. Stuff, 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 because we see everybody else having this stuff. And think about it. They know how to manipulate you to buy this stuff. Think about it. Let's take cigarettes for a moment. Cigarette companies right now are getting into really big pr- trouble right now because of their advertisements. Because when they advertise a cigarette, have you noticed that they use young fashionable people, fashionable, nice-looking young people that look like dressed-for-success people smoking cigarettes. Have you ever seen that they do not use fat, overweight, beer-bellied, grizzled old guys with their wife hanging over their head with a big pot ready to smack them on the back of the head? They don't, they don't use those kind of people for cigarette ads. Why? It won't sell. That doesn't appeal to them. It, what appeals to us is the, the aura of being like what? Wealth. But here's what Proverbs says. It's better for you to just have a little bit and have righteousness than have a whole lot and no justice. Do you understand what I'm saying? Better for you to have a little bit. See, we've got to be content with what we have. And listen, of all the people who should be content, do you know who should be content? Christians. Why? Because we know that what we have here is nothing compared to what we're going to get later. And I think some of us have forgotten the hope of later, of being with Jesus and sharing in His inheritance we have forgotten what is coming and we're settling for less than. Settling for less than. 
I'll remind you. I'll give you a story to illustrate what I'm talking about. Because you can just be disappointed with settling for less than. I was, uh, when I worked at Liberty, just before I got married to Lori, you know I love cheeseburgers. Everybody here knows I love cheeseburgers, right? I'm a cheeseburger connoisseur. If you were to go to a restaurant with me, I will order a cheeseburger. No lie. If they have a cheeseburger on the menu, ask Lori. I mean, we could go to Shea, whatever. If they got a burger, I'm ordering it. Okay? All right. So anyhow, I'm anticipating a burger when we're going out to lunch with this group of pastors. And I go there and they don't have a burger. So i got to settle for less. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. It may have been good. It was maybe some kind of chicken something or another. Okay? It may have been good, but I'll be honest with you. True satisfaction would have come from beef with a slice of cheddar or whatever on it. Okay? Don't you, you can. <laughs> Should I change jobs? Okay. <laughs> no. So what I want you to see is, is you, you're, and, and you're not satisfied even after you have that. The satisfaction's not there, is it not? So then, you know, you're you have dessert or something else because you're trying to satisfy what you really want, which is a burger. Well done. Okay. Lightly buttered bun. Okay? Grilled. Okay. All right. We're getting carried away now. All right. So, but you didn't have true satisfaction, so you try to fill that satisfaction with something else. See, this is why I think we're so caught up with buying the stuff, is that we're trying to satisfy what can only be satisfied later. And what is here cannot satisfy us. See, it's better for you to be content to have a little with righteousness than what? Have a lot. Have a lot with dishonesty. Because I'll be honest with you. Let's be honest. A lot of times, wealth is gathered by what? Dishonesty. Hey, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I think all of us know that we don't live in a fair society. We live in a society where people will abuse each other for what? Money. Better to have a little. And to have a lot with dishonesty. Okay? Let's, let's go on. Uh, look at the issue of the sovereignty of God. Verse 9. A man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Now, I want you to please put a star by that verse in your Bible, if you don't mind writing in your Bible. I want you to put a star by that verse, because that is a great verse that talks to you about the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. Because here's what it is. The Lord determines the outworking of our plans. See, at no time does God get off the throne. I don't care what plan you have. See, He is moving all of history, all of the present, to one event. Jesus Christ coming back. And nothing is going to change that plan. So I don't care what you think. I don't care what you're planning on doing. God is sovereign. God is on on the throne, will always be on the throne. And you and I need to grasp that reality. Grasp that reality. And so the Lord determines the outworking of our plans. No one can foil God. Let me just stop that. Stay and say that. No one can foil the plan of God. So, okay, we're in the midst of election season. Can I be honest with you? And, And I know we've got... 
different parties represented here, okay? And so your guy doesn't make it, or gal doesn't make it, whoever it is, okay? Your guy or gal doesn't make it. I'm not making predictions here, I'm just saying. Somebody is not going to make it in November. Everybody recognize, they don't elect two people to be president, only one makes it. Does that mean that God got off the throne? In fact, if you read a little bit more in the Bible, it's he who sets up the kings. Do you understand? So we, as Christians, should have a greater perspective. And can I be honest with you, that should lead you to pray, shouldn't it? should lead you to pray, the Lord, as you set up the next president. You need to give us a man or a woman who will do what needs to be done in your will. In your will. Not my will, your will, Lord. Okay? All right, let's go on. All right, here's some Proverbs concerning kings. And maybe since we just talked about president, this will be good. Maybe this will help guide you a little bit. Verse 10, we'll go through these real quickly. Uh, divination is on the lips of the king. His mouth must not transgress in judgment. So here, it's talking about the speech of a king. Kings must speak righteously in their official capacities. So you want some wisdom as to who to select? Look at how they talk. I'm going to be honest with you. I know we live in a culture today where people just use filthy language like it's nothing. In fact, I had a conversation with somebody this week that said they could remember back in the army, back in the barracks, and I remember this too, in the barracks people would be talking filthy talking, but as soon as they got on the job or in a professional setting, they dropped the language. And they were professional. But as soon as they got back to the barracks, and it's like, how do you do that? Back then, you talked filthy language in... Only in certain places. Now, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. In fact, I'll be honest with you, what makes me cringe is when I hear my elected leaders talk that way. you understand what I'm saying? It, what makes me cringe is when you hear your elected leaders talk that way. And I'll be honest with you, we've had lots of reports in our news of both parties' people talking that way, right? So it's not an issue of party, it's an issue of character. And that's what he's talking about here. Kings must speak righteously in their official capacity. Now look at the issue of honesty. Honest weights and scales are of the are the Lord's, and all the weights in the bag are His work. And so the Lord, the Lord is the source of honesty and justice in all human enterprises. The Lord is the source of honesty and justice in all human enterprises. Now, this section of verse is dealing with the issue of kings. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, whatever you think of Bill Clinton, it really doesn't matter. What I'm concerned about, and I've shared this issue with you before, is the American people. Back in 1996, when he was reelected, they did a poll that was on the news where they were talking to people coming out of polling stations, and they asked them, does it matter to you that... He lied. Because he did lie. Everybody knows he lied, okay? Here's what the American people said. This is my concern. It's not so much about him. It's about the American people. 75% of the people who voted in that, in that election said this. No, it doesn't matter. Just so he does the job. It does matter. It 
does matter because God hates lying. And He is the source of honesty. Do you understand my point? He's the source of honesty. So think about that. These are issues you just can't overlook. It's, oh, well, that's just his character flaw. He just likes to exaggerate a little bit. No. He's got a lying problem. Well, she's got a lying problem. Somebody's got a lying problem. And the fact is, is that you need to be aware of that. Look at the issue of stability in government. Look at verse 12. It is an abomination for kings to commit wickedness. For a throne is established by righteousness. All right, now let me just stop for a moment. Let me just stop for a moment. Look at what it says in this verse. This is not George Cannon, so you can't say that George is slanting this to whatever his political view is. Look at what King Solomon is saying. Look at verse 12. I'll read it again. It is an abomination for kings to what? Commit wickedness. That's, that's Proverbs. That's the Word of God. And here's the point I want you to see. Righteous administration determines the stability of a government. Look, whoever you vote for, because we've got primaries coming up and you're watching primaries and stuff, you just don't look at the issues. Because the issues, can I be honest with you, how many, I've been around now a little bit. I remember the first, the first election I took, place, took part in was when... Uh, Ronald Reagan ran in 1984 against, I forget even now who he ran against, but uh, it was Mondale. Walter Mondale, wasn't it? Okay. Well, that's the first election I took place in. Now, I have been around long enough now. Some of you have been in more elections than I've ever even been alive. All right, now listen to me. I've been around enough to know that the stuff they talk about in the election now it's not the stuff that they deal with when they're president. Does everybody understand that? There's issues that they're talking about now, but other stuff always comes up. So the key issue is their character. You need to not just evaluate them by the issues. You need to evaluate them by their what? Their character. What kind of person are they? What kind of person are they? Now, I'll be honest with you, on both sides, we've got, we got problems on both sides based just on that criterion, don't we? Okay? All right, look, let's go on. And if, if you're getting mad at me, I'm sorry, but I'm trying to give you some biblical principles because I don't really care what party you're voting for, just so you vote based on what your conscience in the Bible says. Period. You understand? Look at verse uh, 13 now, the issue of honesty. Again, under the issues of kings. Righteous lists are a delight of kings, and they love him who speaks what is right. People who are honest and candid are valuable to governments. So listen, out of this verse, can I tell you what you can do with this verse? And you need to start doing it now. I don't, you know, whether you like George Bush or not, here's the point. You need to be praying that he has honest and candid people around him. You understand what I'm saying? You need to pray that he has honest and candid people around him. You need to pray for Governor Rendell. You need to pray for him to have people around him who are going to be honest and candid. Do you understand what I'm saying? We need to pray for our officials that they have sound counsel around them that are going to be honest and, and, and candid. That's the, that's the issue. Can I ask? We don't pray that way, do we? Let's be honest. We don't pray that way. Let's go on now. Look at the issue of wisdom's appeasement. Look at verse 14. As messengers of death is the king's wrath. 
but a wise man will appease it. A wise man pacifies, can pacify the irrational anger of leaders. A wise man can pacify the irrational anger of leaders. In fact, here, if you want to put a just side note in your notes, David and Nabal. Remember David and Nabal? First Samuel. David was angry because of what Nabal had said and, and, and had assaulted him and he had gathered all his mighty men and was going to go and just slaughter Nabal and his whole household. Just wipe them out. But a wise person, in this instance it had to be a woman by the name of Abigail who came and what? With her words, turned his anger away. Turned his anger away. Let's go on now. The issue of encouragement. Verse 15. In the light of the king's face is life. In his favor is the cloud of latter rain. Okay. Favor from a king. Favor from a king is encouraging to his people. Favor from a king is encouraging to his people. And you know, I've seen this. Can I be honest with you? Even though the guy or the person may not be your party, if, if, if George Bush were to walk in here today and, and sit down with us for a worship service, I doubt very seriously very many of you are going to be kicked off. You're going to sit there and feel honored that the president showed up today at our church. That he would grace us with his favor today. Or if you own a restaurant, and you may be true, true uh, red Democrat, if he showed up to order a burger at your place, you'll get a picture and put it on the wall. I mean, I'm just letting you know. I mean, you're going to do what you got to do, right? Did you see what I'm saying? You're going to feel proud. The president came to my place today. That's what he's saying. Favor from the king is encouraging to the people. Do you understand what I'm saying? Favor from the king is encouraging to the people. All right, now let's go on now. Uh, verse 16 Wisdom is more valuable than money. Wisdom is more valuable than money. Can I tell you something? What happens to money? How long can you hold on to money? Do you know how long you can hold on to money? Some of you thought you were doing good and the market just went in the tank. There went your whatever retirement. But wisdom, how long does that stay around? Yeah. For a while, doesn't it? Okay, let's go on. Look at the issue of righteousness. Verse 17. Righteous living is a safeguard against calamity. Righteous living is a safeguard against calamity. If you live right, you are going to guard against problems happening in your life. I'm just going to be honest with you. Now look at the issue of pride once more. Verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We all know this verse, don't we? Here's what it says. Pride leads inevitably to a downfall. You take somebody who's got pride, they are inevitably going to be led to a downfall. Now look at verse 19. Contrast that with the issue of humility. Verse 19. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Here's verse 19. It's better to be oppressed. Better to be oppressed than to be oppressive. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's better for you to be humble than for you to have part with those who are proud, who are oppressing others. Do you understand what I'm saying? It is better for you to be oppressed. Now, let me just stop for a moment. That is so anti-American. We don't want... I mean, we, we threw off the rule of one king. It's better for us to be oppressed 
than to have part with the proud and the oppressors. All right, let's close our time in prayer and get ready for the morning service.